I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Never seen the sky so blue it's the KSL Greenhouse. Expert tips for flowers, trees, gardens, and soil. Our hosts are Maria Chaleos and Ton Bettis on KSL News Radio. Good morning, and thank you for joining us for the KSL Greenhouse. It's a sunny day, and it's going to be a hot one, Ton. The temperature today up to 96, but nothing like tomorrow. We're supposed to be 103 degrees tomorrow and Monday. That's not fun. That's uncomfortable. It is. I. Depending on what uh, forecast you look at, again, I've seen projections as high as 105, I think, from the National mm-hmm. Weather Service. You know, that's within one or two degrees of our all-time high. And and my husband this morning was out already mowing the lawn yeah. because he's like, oh, this is the coolest time it's going to be. Like, it's already 71 degrees. Yeah. Yesterday at 9 o'clock when I was driving into Orem, it was 78 already. And that's just, I, you know, I know there's warmer places, but it is very warm. And you do need to be careful with of those temperatures because you can dehydrate so quickly you know, it's so dry outside and then the heat. And so I, you know, this time of year, if I'm outside, I always have, you know, my cooler, my mug full of water just in case. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you do have to be very careful. Well, and it's been so hot that in the past week, I've noticed my green lawn suddenly has kind of some yellowish patches in it, which is like, I don't want to put more water on it. You know, I'm trying to be, you know, yeah. trying to conserve water. Yeah. And if, you know, if you had to go out for once a week for 15 minutes, I don't think you'd be harming a lot in that situation. But you're definitely right. You don't want to ramp your sprinklers up more because they're, they're likely across 80 or 85 percent of your lawn getting absolutely enough water. It's the and hilly so parts it where is. it runs off. Yeah, And those are very tricky to water because... You almost have to run the sprinklers for 10 minutes, turn them off, turn them, let them sit for a half hour, run them for 10 minutes. I mean, you can use your sprinkler clock, but the the slopes are very difficult. Yeah, it ends up being a hand-watering kind of situation at our house. All right. Well, this morning, the plant of the week are Canterbury Bells, one of my very favorites because 
it reminds me of my grandmother. I think they're beautiful. I wish they would bloom longer, but they're a gorgeous plant. The Canterbury Bells are one that were at their peak in popularity during the Victorian era. And one article I read talked about the Victorians loving their gaudy beauty. Their gaudy beauty? <laughs> they are not gaudy. They're just a stem of beautiful purple, pink, and white bells. They are. And so I'm, a, I'm upset about this. <laughs> no. And so during the Victorian era, the Canterbury bells, which are a companionless species, along with sweet peas, were two of the major. Um, annuals for flowers that you would have mm-hmm. grown in your yard. You know, petunias weren't around and a lot of the other things that we grow now were not. But they have remained popular because of their long bloom time when they do flower. Right. I don't see very many people with them, though. I'm going to be honest. I just No, no, know, they, the, they're less available now. And, I love that they reseed or I probably wouldn't have any left. Yeah. You know? And so you can get the seed and sometimes find them at a garden center. But I think the reason they're not as popular is because they have to be seeded and they just form what's called a rosette the first year and they just kind of sit there. And one article, again, I read compared them saying without their flowers, they were indistinguishable from a weed. (laughs) And someone must not have had a very high opinion of these. (laughs) But the next year, they elongate and they bloom for most of the season, and they are very profuse. And so there's white and pink and purple versions of Canterbury Bells, but the purple is by far the most common. I think it lasts the longest, or it's probably the hardiest of the group, because I've had all three. And of all the seeds that come back, those are the ones that come back the most. Yes. And so they are ones that once you learn to recognize them in the spring, you can dig up the seedlings and move them around a little bit. So, and they'll reestablish fairly easily, but they're just ones you let go and don't worry about them. And then the next year you get the profuse flowers. Do they need any special conditions? Cause I've seen them grow in all sorts of conditions. No, they were originally native to Southern Europe, but for some reason they've been a lot more popular in Northern climates where they do just fine. And as long as they're irrigated occasionally, you know, once established, once every four or five days. They're pretty hardy. They're pretty hardy, happy, and they just bloom the next year. And they don't need any special soil. They do not. Uh, Anything going from a loamy clay to a sandy soil they do just fine. Yeah, if you've not seen the Canterbury Bells, you should at least check out the pictures of the Canterbury Bells. They're beautiful. If you deadhead them, they seem to rebloom later in the season they sometimes, do. not always, but Yeah, sometimes. they're not as profuse, but they will. The major thing with the Canterbury Bells is that you just need to be patient because the first year they seed, they will not flower, and then they do the next year. And so when you find them, at garden centers, oftentimes they've been seeded with timing so that when you plant them, they bloom the same year. Oh, but then the problem is it'll, they'll look like they just died that year at the end yes. of the year. Yes, and so let them go to seed. And once you do that with some of the transplants, they should start to just do their thing. And over time, you know, not every, I don't know why, but not every one of them seems to need to go through that vernalization And over a period of five to 10 years, you'll develop enough plants that they will bloom 
both, you know, every year instead of all being timed every other. And just don't expect it to stay exactly where you want it to be. No. They kind of move around. Put them in an area where it's kind of open and they can move around. Yeah. And I, I think a bigger part of this is that the campanulas or bellflowers, are called the whole group are usually called bellflowers, are very robust and there's all sorts of diversity within the family. So you can get creeping bellflower. You can get one called blue clips or the clips group that are a lot more compact and bloom for about six weeks in the summer and they're perennial. Then you have the Canterbury bells. You've got all sorts of different varieties. It's just that I like the Canterbury bells because they are less common now, but they're a very carefree plant and they do have, a long history. And so if your grandparents, especially your great grandparents were gardeners, they probably grew bell, this type of bellflower, the Canterbury bell. Has to be in my yard. And in July, I need something carefree. You do. A lot of things are struggling. All right. The plant of the week, the Canterbury bells, and you can find more information about them on the KSL Greenhouse Facebook page. We're going to come back with your calls and questions. You can call us at 801-575-8255. Gordy is already on the line. You can also text us at 57500. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Good morning, and thank you for spending your Saturday morning with the KSL Greenhouse. Maria and Ton with you. Taking your calls, 801-575-8255. You can text us at 57500. Gordy is on the line in Clearfield, and good morning. Gordy, what was your question? Well, I've uh, got some hybrid teas that haven't been pruned for two years, and uh, I didn't get to them in the spring. And I've got to prune them now because they're impeding the sprinkling system. So how do I prune these different than when I should have done them in February? Well, minimally the crossing. Go ahead. um, Removing the the dead branches and the crossing branches first. Well, at this point, I would take anything out that is dead. And that's going to be the first thing. And, you know, being middle of July, we're high 90s and to the 100 degree temperatures, I might prune the rest of them as little as possible. You know, maybe no more than 20% of the branches and just take the ones that are blocking whatever they are, take focus on taking those out. And then this coming spring, you can go in and prune them down to, you know, thigh high and leave, you know, three or four main canes. 
thin some of the canes down? Well, I remove the ones you need to so that you can get clearance past them, but don't go in there and just wholesale mow them down like you would in Marge. Okay. You know, anything dead or diseased can come out, but otherwise I would just prune out what you need to. You know, you might hit a branch here or there to bring them down so that they're not so tall, but I would do your major pruning next spring. Okay. Very good. Okay, well, thank you very much. All right, Gordy, have a great day. Uh, next listener, Ton, wants to know if they have some apples that have worms. They can see that they have worms. Would they just pull those off as soon as they see them, or should they just leave them and eat around the, the worm? I personally, I mean, our apple trees generally overbear anyway, and if they haven't done any thinning, if they can find the ones that have worms, I would just get some snips out and just snip those particular immature fruits off. But then I would go ahead and focus on spraying so that you don't get more in there because the coddling moth that lays those eggs are active all summer long. And so subscribe to the USU Pest Lab updates for fruit. They're free. And then do your spraying the rest of the summer so that you can keep the other apples relatively worm-free. All right. Next listener lives in Mapleton, and they have questions uh, about English walnut. The first one is, are there any updates for treatments of the thousand canker disease or the walnut twig beetle for the English walnut? No, they're not. And the best defense is keeping the walnut healthy where you just water it deeply every seven to ten days so that water penetrates 18 to 24 inches un- under the ground, into the ground, and you water under the canopy of the tree. A couple of years ago, there was a weather event that caused a lot of damage to walnuts that wasn't thousand cankers. Thousand cankers hits a limit of time and kills a tree over a period of two to three years to where this, we had a weird weather year as we have had for the last several mm-hmm. and a lot of walnuts, the upper two thirds of the canopy died. So their second question is that their walnut has dusky veined aphids and they see that they're disruptive for food producers. Are are they an issue for homeowners? Not they're a problem for food producers, but do homeowners have to worry? We don't get a lot of aphids in walnuts locally. It is possible. Yeah, they said they can't find much information about them. No, they just don't hit here very much. And I, the only thing I could really say, if the tree's too tall to just use like a horticultural soap in, they may need to use a systemic. And there may be one or two systemics out there registered for walnuts that you could still harvest them and eat them. Okay. And should they treat them? I mean, how bad should they be for them to treat? Well, if it's just a few limbs, I would just spray those branches with a stiff stream of water to try to keep them out of the new new growth every few days. But if it's the entire tree, they may need to treat the tree. All right. Fred is on the line in Centerville. Good morning, Fred. What was your question? Hi, how are you doing? Great. Um, in the last week, I've noticed I have a whole bunch of those little elm seed or elm tree beetles in my house. I don't understand what I've done or not done. I've, you know, fairly close and, you know, how do I keep them out of my house? I live on the hillside, uh, a lot of oak brush around, but, uh, you know, this is, it's really a nuisance. What do I do? Well, somebody has elm trees or else you have elm trees growing in wild areas. 
because the elm seed bugs, that's what they usually feed on, are the seeds from elm trees. And so the reason they're in your house is there's cracks in the foundation. They can crawl under the door. They, there are many, many what we call true bugs that are they're insects, but they're the bug family that do this. You know, the box elder bug in the fall, elm seed bug. We have the... Uh, Oh, what is it? Fire. There's a fire bugs. Fire bugs. There's a number of them. And so in the house, about all you can do to get rid of them is vacuum them up with just your the end of your vacuum and then go through the perimeter of your house and using foam, uh, like the spray foam and door sweeps and things like that, seal your house up the best you can. Because short of cutting all the elm trees down, there's really no good way to get rid of them. You know, if you find them in the yard and they're swarming on one side of your house, you can try an insecticide, a horticultural soap or something with bifenthrin or permethrin in it that will help for a week at a time. But there's really not a good solution. Okay. All right, Fred. Thank I hope. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks so much for your call this morning. Uh, next listener, Ton. Well, we need to take a break, so I'm going to wait on the next listener. The number for you to call with your questions, 801-575-8255. You can text us at 57500. Again, the plant of the week was the Canterbury Bells. You can check out more on that on the KSL Greenhouse Facebook page. We'll be right back. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.